0: Welcome to the Dynasty Bulls Podcast.
1: Nick Hales of the Redskins Plexer and Joshua Johnson are here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build a foundation. This is the Dynasty Bulls, presented by the Dynasty Football Wear.
2: We've got to be the dumbest team in America. In terms of playing the game. And I'm highly critical because of the way we give games away. We give them away.
1: Period. I say, gentlemen and ladies.
3: Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. Uh, With me, as always, is Nick Hale to the Redskins Wagner. What is up, my friend?
1: Oh, not much, Josh. It's a beautiful day here in North Idaho. How are you doing today?
3: Uh, I'm Joshua Johnson, as I so neglected to mention (laughs) for joining us. Uh, It is cold here in South Dakota for the third straight day. We're hoping to hit the 50s. Better than 30 and blustery snow on Monday that we had, so... Uh, but it's South Dakota in May. Gotta love it. Um, we have a great show in store for you today as we tackle quarterbacks, tight ends, and offensive linemen. Uh, kind of their rookie impact report here as we go forward with our rookie impact series, which of course is spearheaded by our uh, our Lord and Master Sir William Servey over at uh, DFW. At, I'm sure you've seen the article, It's been pumping out. Uh, the, the, the Devontae Parker one was out last week and. Uh, Got a Landon Collins one coming out tomorrow. Uh, I know Mike Kraffick did uh, TJ Yeldon. Uh, yeah, just a lot of great stuff, a lot of detailed stuff going on, and uh, we are we are very excited to be presenting it to you. So uh, make sure you uh, make sure you keep keep your ear to the ground here and read all those uh, read all those articles. It's just doing doing really good stuff. Um, quick retraction: Last week I mentioned that Ellie Herald was available on MLF. As a defensive end, Eli Harold. Excuse me. Uh, he is not post draft after his landing spot. He uh, is now being made a linebacker, which maybe hurts his value. But uh, I am also writing the rookie impact series on him, um, and I have some interesting ideas about how I think his value is going to go throughout the season. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Um, that does that does hurt because I think he stands to be a, a good a good player and uh, not necessarily a. a, a going to grab the amount of tackles that a linebacker should, but uh, we'll see how that all plays out there in San Francisco. They certainly need a lot of defensive help there. Um, we do want to let you know about our DFW membership here, so we're going to get that going, and uh, we will hit top five quarterbacks right after that. DynastyFootballWarehouse.com is very excited to announce our Insider membership. For just twenty nine ninety nine per year, you get the Insider membership plus our rookie draft kits. Insider membership itself is $24.99, just the rookie guide is $9.99. DFW is worth Dynasty Football is a Way of Life. You can dominate your league for only $2 a month. Membership includes all access to Insider articles, Dynasty, Redraft, Daily, IDP, which is over a thousand articles per year, up to three a day on average includes dynasty expert rankings, updated monthly, average draft position data, 2015 projections, in-season weekly rankings and management, rookie draft room, and so, so much more. 24-7 access to DFW staff via email for roster management advice, trades, drafts, rebuilds, waivers, commission assistance advice for bylaws, scoring, and setup up on new leagues on MLF. The 2015 Rookie Guide, is $10 a la carte or $5 when bundled with the Insider membership with the PDL emailed to you. Expanded in 2015 to include more players, the top 10 IDP, all crisply summarized with keynotes on every player and their background, main stats, strengths, weaknesses, and key college stats. 143 skill position, 106-page PDF, 41,000 words of rookie insight, plus 100 hours of research analyzed and boiled down for your NFL Draft Day enjoyment. Combines all recaps from skill positions at the Combine, includes guide-along updates after the NFL Draft, adjustments made through training camp, and preseason. All three membership options will get you entered into the multiple DFW contests give- and giveaways. Each will enter you into a a raffle for a brand new iPod which will be given away during halftime of Super Bowl 50 via third-party security raffle. You will get entry into DFW Week 1 Free Roll Tournament on FanDuel or DraftKings where the winner will receive $200. You will also gain entry into the DFW Survivor Contest where over the course of the 2015 season, the last team standing will also receive $200. Again, very excited to introduce the DFW Insider Membership, just $30 a year. All right, so let's get to those top five rookie quarterbacks. Nick, we'll do like we did last week. We'll go in
1: reverse.
3: Um, And I think we did like last week with our running backs. Why don't you just give me your top five, Nick, and then I will give you mine. So why don't you go ahead and start with number five.
1: Okay, at number five, I have uh, Sean Mannion in, uh, in St. Louis. He's a little bit raw, but at six, two six, 229 pounds, he definitely looks the part. And if Nick Foles were to struggle or get hurt again, remember, he missed half of last season. And then Austin Davis is the other quarterback there. If he continues to underwhelm, I could see Mannion possibly uh, getting action sooner than uh, DFW's number five quarterback, Brett Hundley. Now I would prefer Hundley in the right situation. Say if I owned Aaron Rodgers, who's missed nine games over the last five years, and my backup quarterback was nothing more than a bi week filler type of guy, then I would definitely try to handcuff Rodgers with Hundley. As you know, even Matt Flynn had a six touchdown game in that Green Bay offense. Uh, moving on to number four, I've got Bryce Petty with the Jets, six foot three, two hundred thirty pounds. You know, if you own a quarterback that can that can contribute this year, I would bump him up to number three rather than number four because it wouldn't be shocking if he ends up starting some games over Geno Smith this year at some point. But historically, the Jets' starting quarterbacks haven't had much recent success. Plus, we've seen the last quarterback from Baylor struggle making the transition to the NFL, so it's tough for me to put him anywhere higher. Uh, number three, I have Garrett Grayson, six foot two, 213, in New Orleans. He's definitely a boomer bust type of guy. Drew Brees could end up playing a couple more years, and Grayson's situation could end up like Brock Os- Osweiler in Denver. Drafted to be the heir apparent to a legend, but then the team sees him practice for a while and decides that he's probably not going to be the best uh, starting option moving forward. But if he were to end up taking over Drew Brees' uh, job, playing under Sean Payton is a huge bonus. I mean, remember, before going to, New Orleans, Drew Brees, uh, going to New Orleans with Drew Brees, Sean Payton's accomplishments included being the offensive coordinator and leading Kerry Collins and the Giants to the Super Bowl. And then in Dallas, as an assistant head coach and quarterback coach, he managed to get Quincy Carter to have a 3,300-yard a season. I believe in Sean Payton. Uh, number two, I have Jameis Winston. Uh, six foot four, two 231. You know, of course he's got the physical tools. He wouldn't have gone number one overall if he didn't. And I hope I'm wrong about the guy, but I just don't trust him. He seems to make bad decisions constantly. I just can't bring myself to use a high draft pick on him. And he wasn't perfect on the field either. You know, he had a higher interception rate than Marcus Mariota. And, of course, the hilarious play versus Oregon where he just kind of fell backwards untouched, fumbling the ball. Uh, he has, when you look at last year's football-related internet memes, is was definitely on the opposite end of the spectrum as Odell Beckham's one-handed catch. And then moving on to the number one quarterback, I have Marcus Mariota. Well, he may not be as pro-ready as Winston, I don't think it'll take him long to get there. He's got great upside Super athletic, as evidenced by his 4.5, 240-yard dash. But, you know, his arm was just as good as his legs in school. And he's a super smart kid. I think he's smart enough to transition from the Ducks offense to an NFL scheme fairly quickly. And, you know, with in most mock drafts I've done, uh, Winston has been the first uh, rookie quarterback taken. So I have no problem waiting a little bit longer and then taking Mariota. Uh, what do you have, Josh? Make like a good, compelling argument and... uh
3: you just about lost me there at Quincy Carter. Uh but uh, we'll get over it. Remember Tony Banks is the quarterback we bang on. Um but anyway, uh number five, I gotta have Gary Grayson. Um and the reason I have I have Mannion at four, and the reason I have Grayson at at five and not Mannion is like like you said, I think Mannion uh stands to get on the field a little bit sooner. Uh, you know,
1: Drew Brees Two, two,
3: two solid years probably left in him. You know, probably looking at that before Grayson even sees the field. Um, you know, there's kind of that slew of uh, uh, backup quarterbacks that breezes has had over the years, much like the guys that backed up Favre. That just you know, we'll see we'll see whatever happens with them. And I don't know if Grayson's. I I think it's a great spot for him to learn. And I think when he does get the call. If it's that, if it's them making naming him their starting quarterback, he's certainly going to be ready. Uh, like you said, Sean Payton can do some good things, and and Grayson is is a really good athlete. I don't think he gets enough credit for that. Um, uh, he doesn't. Uh, he, I really haven't seen too much video. I, mean, I and I've watched a lot of video on him. I want to see him throw on the run. Uh, but yeah, we're looking at you know a guy that's going to be a backup for a couple of years, so it's not necessarily going to be fantasy relevant. Drew Brees owners would certainly certainly want to. Not want to nab him um, and maybe keep him on your taxi squad this year. Uh, number four, got Sean Mannion. Um, it, here's the reason I like Mannion. And I, I like Foles, too, and it's just not because I own him. I, I do like him. I don't think he's going to be a complete bust in St. Louis. Uh, that being said, I would not be surprised. And, um, but, of course, they don't really have any interest in upgrading their wide receiver core. Uh, I mean, it's, it's led by Kenny Britt, who's you know certainly had his uh, his moments in the past of being a headcase, and and then they just have a, a bunch of little burners, and that's kind of why I like Mannion as well, is I think he might work better in that offense than than Foles. I know Foles came from the from the Chip Kelly thing, and he had some success there the first year, but. You know, Manning is used to throw in the guys like Cooks where uh he he knows what they can do in space, he knows how to lead them to get more yards after the catch. And I you know, we talked about him in our rookie extravaganza show a few weeks or a month or so in now and, and Burgundy brought up the point that he kinda has a long wind up. I think they will certainly work on that and shortening that. Um and I think he stands to have a, a good chance there to win the job uh if if Foles falters or gets hurt again. You know, Foles is Coles is pretty slight of frame, and Mannion is just a big kid, a lot like Joe Flacco. Um, number three, I have Bryce Petty, and I do not like this guy at all. But landing spot, landing spot, landing spot, just like buying real estate, location, location, location. I think he's in a great spot. I, I really do. I, I got some real questions about how he's going to translate, you know, when, and I don't – you know, and you brought up the, the whole Baylor thing. That that might not be fair because I th- I do think he is a little bit more of a strong arm pocket passer uh, than RG three. But then again, you know, coming from that system where they seem to kind of play the, the street ball, if you will. Um, I, I I I don't know. Uh, I think it I think it might translate just a little bit better for Petty. I understand why he wasn't a first second round pick, um, and I got some real questions about him, but. That being said, he's got Eric Decker and Brandon Marshall. You know, if he sees the field this year, he's got those two guys. Plus, he's got Amaro, and he's got Devin Smith. He can go get the deep ball. I don't know why I'm going to even say this on a fantasy show, but I think Jeremy Curley is still a tad bit underrated. And with the right quarterback in that kind of system, I think he could really he could really benefit a, a young quarterback. Um Geno Smith, Ryan Fitzpatrick are also there too, and you know it might be might have to go through both of those guys before he gets the chance to play. And uh, uh, but uh, this is a guy that, like I said before the draft, I was I would not touch at all. Didn't even want. Didn't even want to think about him being in my top five. But now with that landing spot, I, I can, if he's hanging around, you know, round five in my rookie draft, I I'm certainly going to nab him. You know, I have. I have Flacco and Luck on, as my quarterbacks, my main quarterbacks on my teams. I know the Flacco one's not going to scare a whole lot of people, so why not grab Bryce Petty if you don't need to play him right away and you can sit there? You know, a lot of dynasty leagues have really big rosters. Why not? I I I can't believe I'm 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 almost sold, sailing myself now on Bryce Petty, but I just like the situation. I got three good running backs. They have young receivers around him. You know. This is a team that's not going with, because of that defense, you know, I took, I took Petty in one of our top gun mocks here a couple of weeks ago. This is a team because of that defense is not going to have a top 10 pick next year. I don't think. So it's not like they're going to have an opportunity to drop another quarterback high. Um, you know, Geno Smith's contract is going to be up here in a couple of years. I think Petty's got a feature and I can't believe I just talked that long about Bryce Petty. Uh, number two, this is going to maybe be a, a bit of a shock, but i I have officially switched Mariota and Winston around. I was Mariota all the way, all season long, and now have switched and put Winston 1 and Mariota 2. I'm a little concerned about the landing spot. Some people are absolutely ecstatic about it, and the fact that he's got DGB, uh, namely our, our buddy Burgundy, who was on the fake p- fake pigskin podcast on Monday night, selling DGB like, uh, like his agent, basically. Uh, but uh, I'm just a little concerned about how soon it's going to get going. I, I I agree with you, Nick. He's a smart kid. He's an exceptional athlete. Um, and they, they upgraded the running game with David Cobb, another guy I absolutely love. He, they threaded him with some really good weapons. I just think it's going to take a little bit of time to get things along. And I and I feel the same thing about Winston, too. I just think he's got a, a slightly quicker road. I actually like their running backs better, mainly because I like Charles Sims a whole hell of a lot down in Tampa, and obviously Mike Evans. They upgraded upgraded the receiver core too with Kenny Bell as well. I I really like him. I think he's got a decent future there. Vincent Jackson's going to be a nice player for them. He can lean on the big tight end ASJ down there. Uh, I I just like it, and I and I'm a Florida State fan, and I and I
1: t- really struggled to put
3: them. To, to switch these guys around, but I did. I just think his his road to con- to contributing fantasy wise is going to be a little bit shorter than Mariota's, and that's why I made the switch. Nick, I heard different people pronounce this thing differently, but is it Mariota or is it Mariota? I believe Mariota. I think if you live on the East Coast and you're from Boston, it's Mario. No offense, any of my friends up there in uh, Boston, I got I got some good friends up there, and Doug Moore and Jeff Lloyd and uh, Chris Mitchell, of course, at Roto Experts. Uh, I think they would pronounce it Mario, but uh, I'm done making fun of people's accents. Um, moving forward, uh, any other quarterbacks out there, Nick? That. I mean, I, I know it's not D-class, and I honestly don't think there's any Hall of Famers even out of these top two quarterbacks. If we have some good quarterbacks that contribute, obviously at the top, but I just don't know if there's any Hall of Famers out there. Any Any other quarterbacks that kind of intrigue you
1: um, you know what? Not really. And to be honest with you, I, to roster anybody past the top two quarterbacks in this year's rookie crop, I would have to be in the right situation. Like I said, uh, uh, an Aaron Rodgers owner uh, handcuffing him with Brett Hundley, or uh, you know, I have, or you know, if I was super desperate for a quarterback, then maybe I'd go with the Bryce Petty. But I, I really don't like anybody past the top two guys this year. When is it right? to pull the trigger on one of these guys. Obviously, it
3: depends on the situation, but you know, I've seen Winston go as high as a 1.08. Obviously, that player is either in love with him or they need a quarterback super bad. When is it right, you know, when would you pull the trigger on? Like you even said, you're going to let Winston fall, but it, let's say Winston goes 1.08 in your draft. Is that going to put pressure on you to take Mariota earlier, or are you just going to say, no, I'm going to wait to take him where I want to take him?
1: It would, you know, as long as I'm not desperate for a quarterback, I like to let somebody else draft the first quarterback, kind of like set the market. Uh, so, yeah, if, if one of them were to go at 1.08, which I think is way too high, then, yeah, if I needed a quarterback, that would put pressure on me to take the next guy uh, and wait in the first, early in the second. Ideally, you'd want to wait till like, the middle of the second round, I think, to draft either of these guys, though. <sighs> Yeah,
3: you know, if I needed a quarterback and I like I have 2.4 and 2.5 in both of my drafts, I wouldn't have no problem going with them there. I don't think i necessarily do although the uh, flack old Bradford Foles uh, triple-headed monster is not going to scare anybody, but that that being said, I think I've still got three guys that contribute, so I'm not going to be ready to pull the trigger right there. Um, I'm kind of with you on the terms of anybody else out there. You know, I like Cody Fajarda as kind of a long shot, undrafted, un, ended up going undrafted out of Nevada, but of course now you know he signed a he signed a, a rookie deal with the Raiders, so it's not like they're gonna they, not like they signed him to, to to have him compete with Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr is pretty pretty safe down there. Um, so yeah, it's you know it's. I'm a little bit more intrigued about some of these second year guys. You get a lot to play, you know, a lot of time to play last year. Like Logan Thomas in Arizona still intrigues me, and if I see people dropping him, I would I would probably grab him over over Manning and Grayson, probably not Petty. I don't know how I became such a brace Petty fan, but. uh it's the Jets quarterbacks that haven't thrown for over 15 touchdowns in a season for a while, as everybody EK always reminds us. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's not a very good class. And I don't think there's a good class coming next year besides Christian Hackenberg, who is seemingly the number one, the number one quarterback next year, but I don't know if he's got even Winston or Mariota type of ceiling yet. Uh, Obviously we'll get to that here in the future. <laughs> um, but uh we're obviously you're doing your rookie drafts now. Very excited to start my rookie drafts. Uh we start D F W thirty six on um, the twenty second, two days away. Pump for that and me and Nick our Dynasty League starts the twenty fifth on Monday. So uh as I'm sure our buddy Mike Kraffick said his last name, right, we'll be taking Todd Gurley first overall. I haven't got out of the others guys who, what they want to draft yet, but they both need running backs. so uh, I think I'm gonna be stuck with Kevin White, which is not a not a situation I am opposed to by any means. So, uh, I I don't know if I'd want Cooper or not. But anyway, where are we going here with that? Uh, dynasty trade analysis. Um, let's get to some dynasty trades. These are obviously from DFW48 and 36. So I'm gonna give a 2016 round one pick for. Jonathan Stewart. I thought I read all these before we started. Oh, Jonathan Stewart, our buddy uh, Dwayne Brown, I think, otherwise known as Tyler Durden in DFW. I think he gave up. He gave up Stewart and got a first overall pick. Uh, You got to take the guy that gets the first, not the first overall pick, first round pick next year. If you're getting any anything, geez, anything higher than a third round pick for Jonathan Stewart, I think it's highway robbery. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Um, the guy that picked up Jonathan Stewart must be just going all in on this year, thinking they were one running back away. Stewart's value is increased a little bit with D'Angelo Williams not there in Carolina anymore, but yeah, you just, it's so hard to trust him to stay healthy. I I personally couldn't have given up the first rounder for him.
3: Yeah, I, I don't know, man. It's, it's that's a, that's a tough call, yeah. He's a 28-year-old running back. I I. I I don't know who this owner is. I'm not going to say his name, but I just I, – does he not listen to us? I mean, have I not been knocking Jonathan Stewart every chance we've gotten since we've come to DFW? I think I have. But um, I just oh, – I don't get it at all. Um, if you are desperate and you're going to win the championship this year and Jonathan Stewart and his nine games played is going to help you do that, <laughs> I'm all for it. Uh, moving on to DFW 36 uh something gave a pick one excuse me four point zero four and four point five point zero four so four point four, five point four four. Uh Michael Crabtree.
1: What what are your thoughts there? You know what? I like it. I think it's a sneaky move. Uh Michael Crabtree, he definitely was lacking the explosion that he had early in his career uh last season in San Francisco. But sometimes it just takes guys, you know, a year and a half, two years to get past a uh severe injuries, so it's possible that Crabtree could have a bounce back year this year in Oakland, especially with Amari Cooper attracting a lot of attention on the other side of the field. And, you know, if he doesn't end up uh, being the same player ever again, he only gave up a fourth and a fifth round pick. Those kind of are throwaway picks at some sometimes if you've got a super deep team already anyway. So, so yeah, I, I like this trade.
3: Yeah, you're really stacking your deck with those later picks, you know, taking shots at the dark, Dark throwing darts at the dart board, as our buddy Howard Ben likes to say, um, and I use, I steal that as much as possible. Um, I like it too. You look at Crabtree's best year in San Francisco, and it was when uh, Colin Kaepernick took over the starting job, and he did not know anything else but to feed the ball to Crabtree. I mean, that year was so insane. I had Crabtree in my redraft league that year. And uh, drafted him really late because everybody was so down on him and, you know, Alex Smith, blah, blah, blah. And when Kaepernick took over that job, Cradtree just burst into the top like five wide receivers for the end of that year. If you don't believe me, go back and check. I mean, he – and it doesn't matter what his full year was, what he did in the last half of that year with Kaepernick as quarterback. Absolutely amazing.
1: Now he has Derek Carr.
3: Come on, Oakland Raiders. Everybody loves the Oakland Raiders right now. It's be optimistic, everybody. The guy can sling. This is a quarterback that not necessarily doesn't have as strong as Arbis Kaepernick, but he is an accurate quarterback. Threw the ball 599 times last year. Had a, had a year at Fresno State his last year where he produced three different wide receivers that had over 1,000 yards. He's got Amari Cooper. Rod Streeter is underrated. I'm not saying you should roster him, but if you see him in your dynasty league as a free agent, certainly pick him up. I think, I think not saying all three of those guys are going to have a thousand yards, but all three of those guys are going to contribute, and they also have Wolford. Crabtree's going to be open. I we we answered a question about this, and the DFW question and answer is going to be out on Saturday or Sunday this weekend. And uh so we'll see if you can get a couple, you can get about five different opinions on this matter, but I, I really think Cooper or excuse, Cooper and Crabtree can catch over seventy balls and uh get close to a thousand yards there. So obviously I like this trade. because um, 'cause you've just given up a couple later round picks. And I will say that I have been offered a lot higher. I was offered Crabtree for a lot higher pick in this week. So uh, I think that, that's that's a pretty good deal. And I think you're going to get somebody that's going to contribute for a couple of years there in Crabtree uh, with, with a great cor- young quarterback. like the deal for the guy that got Crabtree. Uh, DFW36 trade three here. Uh, Eric, somebody give up Eric Decker and Charles Johnson and received pick 1.27 and pick 3.27. What are your thoughts there?
1: I think it's fairly even. I'm not a huge fan of uh, New York Jets offensive players in general, but uh, Eric Decker's got talent, and Charles Johnson, he's probably going to be the wide receiver, too, there in Minnesota. So, so, you know, late first-rounder and a late third-rounder, I think that's a fairly even trade obviously short term uh, the benefit goes to the the team that picked up the players long term the benefit goes to the team that picked up the draft picks as rookies take a little longer to contribute probably but yeah i i i think it's fairly even on both sides
3: um so if you're not familiar with w 36 um or 48 it's, it's there's 36 there's three copies of each player so 2. Point, excuse me 1.27 or three point two seven equals a ninth pick of each of those routes. So you know you're looking Nelson Aguilar territory, Jameis Winston, if you want to go that route with that first overall pick. Um, and and you got two decent receivers. Um, I I think decker has got five solid years left, and if they can get a quarterback, you know maybe it is Petty. Um, good you know, good for them, and I think he, I think he could really. Producing that offense, especially if Brandon Marshall hangs around a couple of years, I, I like Decker. Charles Johnson, you know, is everybody wanted this Minnesota Vikings team to take Devontae Parker, and I think Charles Johnson might be the reason that they didn't. They have a lot of other weapons on that offense, and they have also, just like Oakland, they have a nice young quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater. So, um, I, I like to trade a lot for the I, for, for the guy that got the two receivers. You know, you did give up one point nine. Which you know you're probably going to be taking a shot on a rookie receiver there anyway. You're out of the top eight, so you're, you're probably not going to be Perryman, probably not going to be DGB. You know maybe Aguilar splits that far. You know that's kind of Tevin Coleman, J a J territory. And you got two veteran wide right receivers, so it's it's certainly a risk giving up a first round pick, and I and I don't like doing that at all. But uh, it's it's not a not a bad deal at all. So um, moving forward. Um, Sal's gonna be joining us here in a couple of minutes. So why don't we do um uh Nick Rant? We do this thing every as much as possible. Almost every week. It's a little thing we like to call Nick Rants It's where I give my co host the floor to kind of rant about something that's bothering him. Um sometimes it's more related he wanted to go in that direction. But we other directions. So we we harnessed him back into um uh take uh, this style direction here. This But what do you got for us, Nick?
1: Well, it's no secret that a number of us here at DFW are super high on Arizona's rookie running back, David Johnson. Dan Hines has him all the way at uh, running back number three, Uh, rookie running back number three. Uh, unfortunately for us, I don't foresee Johnson being a sleeper for too much longer. After just one week of mini camp, head coach Bruce Arians is already singing his, his praises, saying he's very, very bright and that Johnson can do anything as far as a wide receiver, running back, or fullback. Meaning that even if Andre Ellington remains the feature back, Johnson will see the field in other ways. I personally don't buy the hype that Ellington's going to remain the running back number one. I think Arizona and both running backs would be better served if uh, Ellington – using Ellington as a change of pace back – keeping him fresh and explosive, the way he was as a rookie when Rashard Mendenhall was uh, taking over half the carries. But you know what? Either way, I believe both running backs will be valuable fantasy commodities this year. Also, on the off chance that uh, Johnson plays enough wide receiver to actually be listed on some sites as a receiver or running back, as C.J. Spiller was in 2011 or Dexter McCluster continues to be, he could be even more valuable. And one last point I want to make on him is some teams are hesitant to play rookies, but not Arizona. Their third-round pick last year John Brown had a few nice games. Now I'm not quite as gutsy as Dan on my ranking, but he's easily my rookie running back number five on my board. What do you think of him, Josh?
3: Um, I've heard a lot of arguments for. Obviously, that's from DFW, and a lot and some really good arguments against him. Um, uh, my buddy Ron McLeese over at Fake Pigskin is not huge on him, and I understand that. And um, somebody else. Uh, another person that I trust is uh, Evan Silva over at Roto World, um, who's in the Ross Tucker podcast. He he certainly has some big issues about him shying away from contact. Uh, that being said, I think he's a super great flex option. You know, he's going to be a, a fun bi week replacement to watch, and I think that offense is creative enough to use both of these guys in great in great spots. Um, I really banged on this offense last year for not using Stephon Taylor enough. I think he's a a decent running back. Um, But I think they have a lot more versatile running back than David Johnson. I have only seen him in a best ball dynasty league. and uh, You know, Johnson might not be there by the the time the second round rolls around And I'm not exactly happy about that. So I guess we'll we'll leave it at that. Um, It seems like you either like or hate this guy. I'm willing to gamble on him. If you're not, we're not gonna we're not gonna yell at you. But uh, you know, it's it's your funeral if he uh, if he becomes the next Chuck Foreman Marshall Folk type of player. So uh, we got Sal on the line. So let's patch him through here. Sal, are you there? I am here. How are we doing, guys? Good. It is Sal Conti, um, as I like to call you DFW's own pulling guard, Sal Conti. Obviously, <laughs> you're a little bit more than a a little bit more than an offensive line coach, uh, you do write some awesome stuff for their site too. But uh, we, um, me and Nick, are not offensive line coaches. As much as I love watching video on offensive linemen, I certainly do. I love watching offensive linemen punch defenders in the mouth. Uh, you are really our expert, and that's why we're we're bringing you in here today to kind of get everybody, um, get everybody up to speed with what kind of rookie offensive linemen we we see coming out of this draft. And I know they're not fantasy worthy players, but they're certainly going to help your fantasy quarterbacks and your fantasy running backs and your fantasy wide receivers. So uh, um, I guess you know I don't I don't know where you want to start, but uh, we kind of talked about looking at the first couple of guys taking the first couple of rounds. So uh, uh, okay. first of all, how long how long have you been at DFW?
2: Uh, well, first of all, I really appreciate all the kind words. You know, I really love um, working with kids as offensive linemen. I love working with DFW breaking down film, writing things up, and all that nature. But uh, as far as how long I've been with DFW, uh, let's see, Uh, my junior year of high school, um, I believe, which was when E.J. Manuel, I think my first article for DFW was uh, breaking down E.J. Manuel, uh, which was about three or four years ago. So that's how long I've been with you guys, and uh, it's been a great experience. I really can't complain at all. I love it.
3: Yeah, so uh, since you went there, what have you heard these rumors about uh, EJ not even making Buffalo Bills roster? Oh, and what, what, are you, what are your thoughts there?
2: I have. Um, I'm not exactly sure what the Bills plan offensively. Uh, I know on paper they have a lot of speed added. Um, you have Robert Woods there already. You have Marquise Goodwin there already. Um, you add LaShawn McCoy in exchange for Kiko Alonzo. Um Easily probably a top-ten back in terms of um, putting together technique and physical abilities in a running back. Um, EJ does provide a little more of that mobility aspect than Castle does, but Manuel's been inconsistent, and he hasn't really shown enough growth, I think, for him to walk in and command not only a starter role, but maybe even a backup role. Um, On the other side of that coin, I'm not really sure how confident I would be in – giving Tyrod Taylor a solid roster spot. Um, I know some people heard rumblings that he would be in the mix for a starting job. Um, But I, for one, think that if you're going to give E.J. Manuel slack for um, not being a complete passer mentally, um, not hitting your marks physically, then Tyrod Taylor is not going to be any better. So I think at the end of the day, Matt Castle walks into Buffalo as the starter. Um, But E.J. should supplant himself. As a, a supplementary backup
4: role.
3: Yeah, yeah, I agree with you there. And if, if they were to let EJ go, I think he'd find another team a lot. And I know we don't want to get too into this here. I, I know you said he hasn't shown growth, but I just don't think they've given him enough time to develop. You know, look at where when they drafted him and what that organization has gone through. You know, the Owner died, coaching changes, and it, it, and obviously that's going to he's going to be the odd man out in this if that if that ultimately happens because. They've gone through like three, almost three different regime changes, essentially, since he's been drafted. How many? You know, just a short time ago. So it's it's a weird situation, and I, and I think I think EJ still has the talent. I think they just need to let let him play, not pull the pull the chain on this guy when he was five hundred last year. I just
2: I just I don't think agree the with that with at the all. Sit- I sorry for interrupting. I think the trouble with the situation is that you're in the same division as you know the New York Jets, for example. And their quarterback situation isn't stable, as they'd like it to be, but they feel like they have a good sense of competition, and they've built their defense up from the ground up with that defensive line and their secondary. You look at Miami, they have Ryan Tannehill just extended to almost a $100 million contract. Outside of Brady, he's probably the only guy in that division that's inked up long term. They have you know, stability there. They've built athletes around that entire offense. And then you look at, obviously, the top dog in that division for the past, what, 10, 15 years in New England, where you have Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, um, Josh McDaniels, all Gronk, all those great athletes and coaches, and you want to win right now for the Buffalo Bills. You know, the NFL as a whole, but especially teams that are looking to keep up with the Joneses as soon as possible. You know, it's kind of like, I know Daniel Jeremiah dropped this term on uh, his podcast, but... It's a it's a win-now league and 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 the NFL lives within a microwave environment in which we want to get better, you know, at the expense of not waiting too long. So if it means we we plug in that stopgap, you know, average, not great ceiling or may not help you win 3 to 5 years down the line, but he could get you closer to breaking 500 now, I think that's the picturesque definition of a guy like, you know, Orion Fitzpatrick or uh, a Matt Castle. And clearly they're not satisfied with E.J. And has E.J. gotten a fair shake? Not really. I mean, with all the different coaching regimes coming in and out, but that's just the nature of the game. And I I don't think he has the the traits, and he certainly doesn't have the proven track record necessary to trump the fact that there's someone better in front of him. And that's just going to show itself come week one when Castle's probably going to be named the starter.
3: Okay, um, Nick. Since we're completely off subject, any thoughts on the matter? <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's any way they should uh, cut him right now. I don't think he's easily their number two quarterback. I think Matt Castle definitely starts, but he's got to be better than anybody else they have on the roster. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, okay.
3: I know we started so, off talking about uh, offensive
2: line. We kind of wandered off the Matt Castle. <laughs>
3: It, it was my fault. I started it.
2: Um,
1: <laughs> That's all good. Um,
3: let, let's look at the first round, and of course, we're automatically going to make Nick blush because you got to bring up Brandon sheriff first, right? L- what, what do you got for us on these first round offensive linemen?
2: Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were asking somebody else. Okay, so um, first, start off with Scherf at five to Washington. Um, I wasn't. I tried to stay as a uh, least plugged in to inside sources as possible. I really wanted to, to be surprised by some of these selections. I mean, obviously some more than others, but this is one that surprised me, but I didn't dislike it at all. I thought it was an awesome pick by Washington. Um, clearly not necessarily filling need first, but just taking the best overall player. Um, I know some think he's a little inferior as a prospect to Zach Martin. I think he's better than Zach Martin was coming out of Notre Dame. Um, He's got that squatty build, around 6'4, 300 plus. Um, you can tell, I, I, at least I think when I was watching him on tape, he projects much easier to a guard spot just because mm-hmm. his arms may not, his arm length may not reach the mark. Um, he reaches his landmarks in space a little bit slower than you'd like. Um, he can play tackle, and I think they don't, since they have the flexibility of making him the swing guy. You've got Trent Williams over at left. Um, easily a top 10, 15 offensive tackle in the league. Um, you start sure at right tackle, get him comfortable. Um, Jay Gruden's going to want to run the ball a ton with um, Alfred Morris, Matt Jones, newly acquired back. Um, and I think as a tackle in a zone-heavy scheme, he can be successful. I just wouldn't want him to step in day one and be asked to maul um, the head-up ends of the NFC East and the, NFC, um, and the NFL by himself. Um, that's what I like about the fits of Scherf and some of the other guys we'll get into, like a Jake Fisher, where they landed in schemes where they'll have help and they're not going to be forced to to win in a phone booth right now. Now, on the contrary, I think we'll see in the next two to four seasons um, Scherf will eventually move back to guard, and that's where I think he can be very dangerous. Um, I think he can win with agility. I think he can win with, you know, just getting his first two steps on the ground. It seems, as an offensive lineman, um, the act of getting your initial first step or two or three steps on the ground seems mundane, but it's that constant repetition. And and when it becomes so good that it's almost second nature, that's when you know you have something special. And that's what I saw in Brandon Scherf. Just a very clean, smooth run blocker. Um, accelerates the top speed quickly. I know Iowa utilized him at left tackle and had him pull and, and reach around for corners, save these force players and all that. Um, he can adjust to blocks on landmarks. So if, if he's – I'll try and paint a picture. If he's – let's say he's at guard and he's pulling around – and there's a safety running flat down the line, he's able to readjust his hips and, and square up the opponent and angle to win so so he can create space for the ball carrier. Um, he's just a wrecking ball, really, what I compared him to. That's my player comparison for Brandon Scherf. He, he's a wrecking ball. He's physical. Um, he's nasty, and, and he's a versatile piece on that Washington offense that I think um, he, he, has, he has some room to grow, but I think he's going to be a very solid player in their scheme.
3: Okay, Nick, Nick, any thoughts there on your guy?
1: Uh, You really thought he was the best player available over Leonard Williams there at the number five slot?
2: Um, Yes, I do. And I understand that Leonard Williams is a great player, and I think the Jets got a steal and a quarter at six. But at the same time, um, I I might be slightly biased, but I think building from the offensive line, you really can't go wrong, especially when – they got a better player at tackle and guard if they want to kick him in, um, and I think there's a lot more talent on paper on that offense, um, and the talent on that offense really doesn't make even with the win and loss column. You know, you have Robert Griffin and Kirk Cousins. You know, RG three's had his struggles since his rookie year. Kirk Cousins really never was from a from a Performance perspective anywhere near what RG three was, but there's competition in that quarterback room. Um, Alfred Morris is a proven back that can that can run downhill for yards after contact. Um, you got Deshaun Jackson. There, there's just too much talent on that offense for it to not be good. And I think to to push that closer to to being a fluid offense, you really have to build from the line of scrimmage. So Leonard Williams would be a great player in Washington, but. I don't know. I feel like Sheriff is too good at that value to pass up. Okay. Well, I personally, I I don't see him
3: even attempting to make a go of it at tackle. And in, in the in the uh, in the NFL, I just I feel like he doesn't have that the lateral shuffle to to do it. So, uh, what what do you got uh, for us on the next offensive lineman? On our next
2: offensive lineman. Yep. Well, before we say that, I just want, I thought it was ironic that I think Scherf's lateral agility is one of his strengths, and I think, if anything, um, he's going to struggle with dealing with the big, long, freakish athletic DNs that can just sit and anchor and leverage gaps. Um, but aside from that, I think he's very um, athletic, and he can walk in in day one and and hold his own. Now, as far as the next offensive lineman goes, um, let's go to Eric Flowers at nine, Um A lot of wide opinions on this player, um, big, like, sure, physical in the run game, positions his body well, um, pass protection, a huge question. Personally, you know, I'm not the New York Giants. I'm not, I'm not grading his film specifically for one organization's needs. Um, but, but, but but just my own notes from watching him, he's very sloppy in pass protection, um, doesn't really have a great relationship in his upper body, keeping everything in line. Um, you'll notice he'll kind of strike with his elbows out, which is impossible for, to really help you anchor down when you settle. Yeah, excuse me, in pass protection, um, he ducks his head, which makes him susceptible to double moves. And, and again, if all if all of his strike is outside of his frame and and bowing from the outside in, it's going to be really hard to to sit and anchor against bull rush or speed to power or or stay balanced inside out against um, an inside swim. But the flip side is there's definitely a lot to work with. And I think this was a situation where Flowers displayed enough athletic ability where maybe the O-line coach or run game coordinator, whoever was in that room said, listen, you know, this kid displays the tools and we think the difference between him being a contributing depth player and a, Above average starter is negligible, so we can iron out those kinks. I don't know if I would agree, but if they know something, because here's what we all make the mistake of saying: Uh, the the majority reaction I feel from this pick was that it was an awful selection, and I understand why because he's very underdeveloped. But on the second hand, if they have a plan to use him and they have a plan to maximize his strengths, then who am I to judge? So I really can't fully call this a bad pick for now. But I think from a a pass protection standpoint, he's very sloppy and and slow and not as twitchy as you'd like in a tackle that you're going to take in the top ten. I think Andrews Pete was on the board. I liked him much better than Eric Flowers. Um, DJ Humphreys was on the board. If they wanted to go offensive tackle that badly and had him ranked there, I think he's a better option at that point. Um, So that pick kind of confused me. But again, I'm gonna wait and see because, you know, the Giants are known to have good player development programs and uh I'll hold any further criticism on the pick until then.
3: Okay, once you just slide right into Pete, I guess he's probably the next offensive lineman.
2: Uh yeah, Pete was my top O lineman in this draft. Uh a lot a lot of people had worries about him too. Um and he was he's not a perfect player. He's nowhere near playing at his potential yet. Um he's still filling into his body. If you see him, if you look at other NFL players that are starting in the league right now, they're solid, and and they're grown men, and they're they're physically maxed out to their capabilities, and now they're relying on their technique. But if you look at Pete and you look at his performance in the past couple of years, um, you'll see great, great improvement. Um, kind of slow, um, not 2014, but it's 2013 season, Um Mentally wasn't picking up his landmarks quick enough, wasn't progressing stunts mentally, um, getting beat with outside, back-to-inside moves. And and now I saw a much better player in 2014 um, protecting for Kevin Hogan and the Cardinal. Um, A very intelligent pass protector. Um, In the four or five games I charted, I don't think he missed a single stunt. Um, Saw about 15 or 20 in that span. Um, He uses his... he's just an intelligent player that I think a lot of other linemen in this class don't have. Um, In the Washington game, he went up against uh, Shaq Thompson and Haloe Kakaha. And Kakaha was very explosive off the ball and probably had a a tick more speed than Pete, but Pete used angles and he used great recovery agility. And that's something that I talked about in my, uh, my eval of Ronnie Stanley, um, who we'll be talking about 12 months from now, probably, um, but recovery agility is huge when i look at offensive linemen. If you're a step beat on the edge in pass protection, so if you're kicking back and and the defender might might beat you to the edge and and try to make a move back to the inside to make a play on the quarterback, it's that extra twitch, it's that shuffle step, it's that it's that quick reset of the feet and 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 main, maintenance of inside hand positioning um to keep the demeanor and not fall apart when you're beat. Um and it's just a split second. It's not something you can measure in a 40-yard dash. It's it's not something you can measure in a 10-yard dash. Um, it's really not something you can measure at all. It's just something you got to see on film. And Pete has great recovery agility. Um, he's a smart player that knows where to put his hands and where to position his shoulders and just how, his, how he can anchor. And, and he's putting it all together. And, and just looking at how he progressed from freshman to sophomore to junior year, and just projecting how he will improve because he's still growing into his body, And I think he's a big, physical, smart player that will be very, very productive for the Saints.
3: Okay, um, let's uh, since we're running kind of long here, well, let's let's skip ahead to Lincoln, Lincoln Tomlinson. Uh, were, were you surprised at all by by that pick?
2: Um, I think this was another case of a team drafting according to their own needs. And I I think the reports were true that some teams had a third or fourth round grade on him while others had him in that 20 to 25 range. And and some others were closer to the second round. Uh, And as a whole, I wasn't really surprised by this pick as much as others. Um, He wins in a phone booth, stocky, strong. Um, Playing in space isn't necessarily his forte, but he does mobilize power and has great balance. Um, Detroit has a slew of backs in the backfield now. Uh, Recently acquired Amir Abdullah, uh, in addition to Joy Bell and Theo Riddick. Uh, They clearly want to put emphasis on the run game. And in order to win downhill vertically and and bully those other defenders in the NFC North, um, they're really focused on attacking that aspect of their game. And I think it was a great pick because it it fits what they want to do schematically and from a philosophical standpoint on offense. So I was all for it.
3: Okay. Well, in, a, in addition to being a huge Redskins fan, uh my my co-host Nick is also a a massive Oregon Ducks fan, um and I think I said Oregon, right? Uh, uh so what do you, what do you got for us on uh uh I, I think these are probably two of my favorite offensive linemen and just not the University of the Camp, I just I just really think they are very very good players. What do you think about uh Jake Fisher and Haranis Graf?
2: the Horonis through the the budding ten year all pro, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh I'm gonna start with Fisher first. Um, I know there okay. are some questions about Cincy going offensive line in both the first and second round. Um but I think if you look at the film and you look at what Cincy's done this past season, it'll make a lot of sense. You know, you already have Whitworth and you have Andre Smith. Whitworth's a pretty good player. Smith is you can win with Andre Smith, but I don't think he's anything special. Um, not like Whitworth is. Um, And when you look at what they've done on offense this season, they like to optimize a lot of um, multiple offensive line sets. So you'll see six offensive linemen in the game. On occasion, you'll see seven offensive linemen in the game. And not only does that mean you need more starter-quality offensive linemen, but you need more reserve-quality offensive linemen. And I think Fisher and Aboihe can walk in, you know, in that first season and – if not claim that sixth or seventh offensive lineman role, at least be a key backup and get ready to fill in at any time. Because it's hard enough to make – you'll see teams all across the NFL, you know, fail at the Carolina Panthers, for example. They have two tackles right now that are probably backup quality compared to what the rest of the league has. But now if you want to take that the next step and have – six or seven legit, maybe even eight quality starters, then you need some depth. So I think it makes perfect sense for them to go offensive line in both rounds. Um, As for Fisher as a player, he's big. He's a former tight end, defensive end body in high school. He has great hands. He might be the most athletic tackle, if not one of the most athletic tackles in space in his class. Um, Physical, really plays to his technique well and thrives in that zone team in Oregon. He will have his struggles against stronger edge players. Um, his upper body strength and back is not as strong as others uh, seem it is to be um, because he wins with raw technique and leverage. So while I think strength is not his strong suit, I think he meets the threshold Well, he'll be able to play in the NFL. Um, he'll just need the help of angles and a zone-heavy scheme and good backs behind him. And when you have Jeremy Hill and Geo Bernard, um, you're quite in a good place there. Um now, as Heronis Grasu goes, I may not see a budding ten-year All-Pro, but I see a really good value pick from Oregon. Um, good size, tenured player. Uh, I, I've been hearing his name so long, it feels like he, he, he's been in college football for as long as like a, a Michael Dyer. But finest, finally, he got drafted. Um, but six-three, two hundred ninety-eight pounds, uh, new center for the Chicago Bears. I think he fits a lot with what they want to do. You've got Adam Gase over there, new O.C., John Fox, new head coach. Again, you're hearing me saying this all day long, you know, zone-heavy scheme. Um, that's really all Oregon ran, which was great because it will give him a great transition. A lot of inside and wide zone, smart, communicative player. And that's something you really can't see from the film, and that's something you really don't know until you, you talk to coaches and you talk to players and you talk to personnel staff and stuff like that. That at the center position, you have to be very communicative, where you're pointing out how many safeties are in the game, where's the point of attack, well how many linebackers are in the game, um, if it's a power scheme, who's pulling for who, and and just figuring out, you know, which pins will we knocking down on every any given play in the run game. As far as pass game goes, you got to figure out, you know, who are we blocking and who's the quarterback blocking, and and what that means is who's the quarterback responsible for if he blitzes and who's throwing hot and. And all those things that are overlooked and we can't really see, I know Grasu does very well because he's tenured, he's smart, and I think outside of quarterback, you really need a tenured, intelligent player at the center position. Um, he won't be thrown in the fire right away, but I think given two or three years, you could see a, uh, a good, solid starter at the NFL level.
1: Okay.
3: Um, Nick, any questions there?
1: Uh, yeah, I want to move to a different center, uh, Cameron Irving. Well, he was listed at center going into the draft anyway, but then he was taken in round one by Cleveland, who uh, still has Alex yep. Mack there in the house. Uh, where do you see uh, Cameron Irving uh, filling in on that offensive line?
2: Um, I read one report, okay, from a source to me, that they're working him out at right tackle.
4: Um,
2: whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I'm not sure, because, again, I. Uh, I actually graded him out the previous season when he played at left tackle, and I saw a player with potential, and that still needed to grow into his body, but he had a lot of trouble adjusting his hands um, when anchoring down and power stepping. And then you saw a totally different player at center. Um, But obviously, like you said, Alex Mack still in Cleveland. I think two things to watch for here. I think Irving, I think when you look at a player like Brandon Scherf, his his position will probably start off at tackle and he'll work inside the guard where I think that Irving will get thrown into the fire in the same manner. So he'll probably get reps everywhere because realistically, he he can play all five positions on the line. In the short term, I think he'll see reps at guard and you'll see Greco pushed out to tackle. And then with Alex Mack, I mean, you got to figure, Mack was almost a Jaguar. Um but given all the contractual obligations, he stayed in Cleveland. So I think we see Mac. – I'm sorry, we see Irving – I see Irving as um, the replacement for Mac down the road, but right now I expect to see him play some snaps at right guard.
3: Well, and you look at Cleveland, too. This team obviously is committed to running the football because of their Qu- – questionable quarterback situation, we'll put it that way. Uh, and you got you got to have depth at offensive line to do that. And I like Irving. And I like his versatility. And you know, with the injuries they suffered on the line last year, it's nice to have a guy that you can certainly uh, plug and play there. Um, I will not even attempt to pronounce his name. But what do you think about the the massive uh, Teo, something from TCU? He was he was a later round pick. Um, he went to the, he went to Chicago as well. What do you, do you know? What I'm talking about? Uh, I I'm
2: not I'm not sure. All I, you broke up okay. a little bit there. All I heard was TCU, and that's all I really got.
3: T, TCU guard, uh, first name Tail Sumachuwa or something like that. Oh uh, six,
2: yeah, I uh six six three
3: fifty
2: three. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't try to pronounce his first name either. Um rounder, <laughs> six two six, yeah. 253. That's something I want to comment on right here. Um, I've seen him projected to guard, but he, here's the thing. You don't slide big tackles into guard just because they can run block, and you don't slide big tackles into guard because they may not have Ample foot quickness. You, you know, and I think Faboulagé, I think that's how you I'm going to call him Faboulagé. Oh, um, you got it. You
3: got
2: it. Yep. <laughs> um he's a little stiff in his hips. Um, he's lost weight, too, and he's still a little stiff in his hips. I don't see him transitioning to guard very well, um, but he is strong. He's long. He's very powerful. Um, and the only thing you can do to make up for stiff hips have a great mind, and I'm not really sure character-wise, that's not my department, um, where he checks out there, but from a strength and length threshold standpoint, he emphatically checks off both boxes. Um, in the sixth round, I was listening to a clinic from Alex uh, Alex Gibbs, and if, in case you guys don't know. Alex Gibbs is basically the godfather of the outside zone scheme, and he, he's one of the most influential offensive line coaches, if not the most ever. Um, in football, and what he said was, in regards to his drafting philosophy of offensive linemen, is that he'll see about 70, 80 guys in the pre-draft process, and then come draft time, he won't bother spending that first through third round pick on a top offensive lineman if it's not a screaming need. He he would rather sit in the later rounds and, and pick off guys who may have um, small, physical, Inabilities, or they might be a little stiff in the hips, or they might be a little, um, their body's not built out yet, or there's some negligible um, technical issue, and and he'll just pick them off in the later rounds and redshirt them, sit them a couple of years, and and then come year three or four, if those positive traits still stand strong, they'll be a a suitable you know solid player or at least um, above average key contributor, um, and that's what I see in Fabulashev, just because he's so strong and physical that John Fox is going to get him right. And he'll at least be um, a key contributor from the bench and reserve role and given a couple of years.
3: Okay. And, and again, we, we bring Sal, Sal on because, uh, you know, offensive linemen don't have fantasy worthy stats. I'd love to see pancakes converted into a fantasy stat somehow, but uh, <laughs> this is, this, <laughs> this is important, is important because uh, it's, it's, these, are, these are the protectors, and these are you know, protectors of the realm. Uh, I don't know why I said that. Too much Game of Thrones. But uh, these are the guys that <laughs> are going to help the running backs and quarterbacks especially be successful. So that's why we bring up these names, and that's why we spend time on that. And it's also why DFW rocks, because we have somebody on staff that we can go to to give us that kind of insight. So, Nick, any other questions there for Saul?
1: Well, last year, maybe the best offensive line in the NFL was uh, the Dallas Cowboys, and they added a L. Collins, who probably would have been a first-round pick had he not had the off-field concerns that are now, I think, past us. Uh, any thoughts on Collins?
2: Yes. I think Collins is going to start a guard, which, first of all, is silly that he's even on the Cowboys.
4: Um, <laughs> I
2: think I think before we go a little overboard, I think the offensive line was still very good. But now I think the praise has gone to a point where we're not giving enough credit to Demarco Murray, um, because let me get one thing clear: a great offensive line can make any running back look good, but not just any not just any running back can can, and can play in front of an offensive line like that. You have to have the appropriate vision, timing, acceleration, burst, all that jazz. But anyway, according or not according, um, as it pertains to uh, Lyle Collins, I think he starts off at guard. Um, and he can play guard. His best position, I think, is tackle. Um, I think he's similar to a case of Brandon Scherf, where they may not have that length, but they're just so physical that they can play either spot because they check off the box in terms of lateral agility. Um, I was talking to John Owning, um, contributor to Draft Breakdown, on uh, on Twitter about this, and he was saying that he didn't love the fit of uh, Collins in Dallas because. It'll force him to play inside on a zone scheme, where he's going to have to really put a heavy hand on agility and and short distance quickness, which isn't his forte. And he's absolutely right. But at the same time, the key about zone scheme is securing level one, and that means that um, it's it's really all about displacing defensive linemen either up and down uh, vertically if it's inside zone, or horizontally left and right on wider zone plays. Um, and it's really key to secure that first level and be able to displace linemen so the back can make the cut. And in order to displace linemen, you've got to have great technique, you got to have great strength, and you have to finish through blocks when defenders want to anchor down and and swim and do all that other crap to, to try and disrupt your momentum. And and when Lyle Collins gets fitted into a D lineman, he finishes and he, he drives through blocks and he has a great motor and he plays nasty. So I think all of those will allow him to play guard because, again, uh, with Brandon Scherf, the issue wasn't um, strength. It was it, it, it was did he have the agility to to, um, to to meet that threshold to play tackle? But with Collins, he, he meets the strength. And does he meet the threshold of agility to be a zone guard in the NFL? And I think the answer is yes. And given a couple years, I think I can easily see him moving to right tackle. And you'll have Tyrone Smith and Lyle Collins as bookends, and and that'll keep any quarterback or running back happy in the pocket.
3: Okay, well, Sal, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, again, it's Sal Conti, DFW's own polling guard, and uh, does a lo- does a lot more than just talk about offensive linemen for DFW. So, we thank you for joining us, Sal, and
2: have a great day. Thank you very much. Have a good one, guys. Appreciate it. Yep. yep.
0: All
3: right, and and again, if you you know if you wonder why we talk about offensive linemen just as long as we did, it's because these guys are going to help your your other fantasy players be successful. We talked about linemen more than we talked about quarterbacks because it's going to be paramount to a lot of these teams' successes. Um, uh, Nick, before we move on, I just wanted to get your thoughts on on Mariota, Tennessee, a little bit. I noticed when that pick was made, some Tennessee players were hanging around and they were not very together and not very happy about that pick, namely some receivers. Uh, no, I didn't know Justin Hunter's got a lot more issues than, than making fun of his future quarterback, but uh, I, I didn't like that at all. And then I also saw almost immediately that the offensive lineman Taylor Lewand who was drafted last year, said, well, Mettenberger's not exactly going to roll over and let Marietta take the job which I, I don't necessarily disagree with a statement like that, but you don't want these guys taking sides already. I mean, I mean, it's going to be a healthy competition, but does, does that concern you at all in Tennessee? And do they just need to get a shorter leash on this team maybe?
1: Yeah, I was really surprised. I saw the video as well of the two receivers' reaction to the drafting of Marcus Mariota. And, I mean, Justin Hunter, really? Try catching 30 passes in a season before you start complaining about roster. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
3: yeah, uh, most definitely. All right, so we we still have a whole lot to get to today. Um, and again, we had Sal on to talk about offensive linemen that long because we feel it is vitally important to the success of some big players, especially these rookies. Uh, so uh, you know, make sure you listen listen to that carefully if you're off if you're put off by that a little bit. But let's get to our uh, our first dynasty dilemma as suggested by Mr. Sean Kirby who coincidentally is going to be here next week as we break down IDP guys uh Dr. Kirby as I like to call him but uh we got Gronk versus uh JJ Watt <laughs> got the chance to to go first this week, and we have another dilemma come up a little bit later as well. What do you got for us uh, on J.J. Watt?
1: Well, you know, I don't hate Gronkowski, but I just can't bring myself to use a first-round pick on a player who hasn't played a full 16 games since 2011 and has only topped 1,000 yards in two of five seasons look at 2012 under 800 yards 2013 under 600 yards and only four touchdowns JJ Watt on the other hand has started every game of his four year career he's had 10 or more sacks each of the last 3 years 20 and a half sacks in two of those three seasons and at least 70 tackles each of those years you know both players have super high ceilings but the floor for Gronkowski is much much lower and also as DFW's Sean Kirby pointed out in part 2 of his amazing IDP 101 series last year Gronkowski scored 14 Higher than uh, the number two tight end, while J. J. Watt scored a whopping 96% more points than the D. L. number two. Yeah, also, you got to wonder as far as uh, when when Tom Brady decides to hang up his cleats, how's Gronkowski gonna you know, do with an average quarterback? I, I would say J. J. Watt a hundred times out of a hundred.
3: Um, I, I agree with you there and I think we're going to see, uh, what, uh, what Gronk can do with Jimmy G a little bit early in the season. And I think, I think when, if and when, if and when, uh, when Brady leaves, I think Gronk is still going to hold some decent value as opposed to maybe the rest of the, the offensive players, um, in that system and maybe their running backs will actually be forced to crap (laughs) once that happens. But, uh, first and foremost, I am not a Gronk fan, um. You said you don't hate him. I kind of do hate him, but anyway. Um, that being said, I approached this with challenge with this challenge with gusto because um, my son Henry is yelling at me right now under his breath because I don't like Gronk. Um, <laughs> uh, I certainly am not blind to him being very talented. Uh, when comparing Gronk to Watt, it's it is no way feasible to think that Watt is going to score as many offensive touchdowns as he did last season. Seriously, it's going to take one little knee tweak to say, okay, we're done with that little experience. So I think that certainly enhanced his value, overly enhanced his value last year. Uh, Watt is on offense. Watt on offense was fun, but it's certainly not sustainable. Uh, While Gronk's injury history is noteworthy, let's not pretend when fully healthy that he's not a dominant player. Even if Jimmy G is playing quarterback for the foreseeable future, Gronk is still a top-tier tied end. Um, I think I just said wide receiver before that. Uh, Watt can only move from either side of the offensive line, while Gronk can play the X, the Z, the Y, H back and health. But they can even put him at fullback if they wanted to. I'm not sure if they've done that. I haven't watched a lot of film on Gronk, but I, I think I mean, you don't really need to. I think he could slide out of that fullback position. And I know when we're playing Madden, that's all my son Henry does with it at Gronk, and I can't defend it. Um, many, def- many defenders need to be aware of where Gronk is pre-snap, while just offensive linemen, excuse me, offensive tackles and tight ends, and maybe even fullbacks need to be aware where where Watt is, so they can get ready to chip him. Clearly, the knee is now past Gronk, and I think he has officially dethroned Jimmy Graham as uh, as the top tight end. Uh, certainly last year at this time, Jimmy, Jimmy Graham was alone by himself as number one tight end. I think Grock has certainly dethroned him in that aspect. So, you know, that being said, Watt has probably been the best player in his business, achieved that status. So there is a little bit of a worry about sustainability, but I think, you know, any anything could happen. To, you know, either one of these guys, I'm certainly not wishing injury on either one of them. But uh, going forward, I mean, you, ha- you could have that – top offensive linemen, but you can also have the top defensive lineman if you're going to be making ultimately making this decision. And I think there are, you can get a lot more out of uh, a linebackers, and I think it's a lot easier to rebuild your IDP team if you guys use one or two or if you use a whole bunch like we do in DFW 36 and 48. I think it's a lot easier to rebuild your IDP than it would be to replace a guy. Like Gronk. And if you want to vote on this dilemma before Nick rebutts here, please go to dynastyfootballwarehouse.com and cast your vote. Um, but I hope you didn't vote before you heard us talk. So, Nick, any, any rebuttals there?
1: Well, you know, I did say I'd take a wad over Gronk 100% of the time. I should retract that a little bit. You know, if you happen to play in a league that uh, awards bonus points for hilarious selfie videos, then you might want to consider Gronkowski. I don't know if you saw his, uh, his response to the flight gate, but it was it, his video was entertaining enough that it actually made the Daily Show on Comedy Central. So it's definitely worth a watch if you haven't
3: seen it. Oh, and see, that's why I don't like Gronk. I just – I outside of football, I just – I. What is he doing? Uh but anyway. Uh <laughs> let's get to uh questions from the forum. Twelve team, PPR Dynasty. I give uh LaShawn McCoy, Stedman Bailey, uh Andrew Hawkins and the Eagles D and I get Benjamin one point seven, one point excuse me, two point seven and Sankey. What are, what are your thoughts there?
1: Well, you also look at his current roster, and uh, the fact that his quarterbacks are Drew Brees and behind Brees only has Johnny Manziel, I think it's pretty important for uh, him to get one of the top two uh, quarterbacks this year. So I actually like the trade. I, I don't love it, but I like the fact that you're picking up an extra uh, first-round pick, an extra second-round pick. That allows he has already has the uh, third pick in the second round. That allows him to use that pick on a quarterback and you know fill out his roster that way. Uh, McCoy is a lot to give up, but you are getting Kelvin Benjamin in return and Bishop Sankey. Who knows? Maybe he just needs a year to develop. I'm not high on him, but he, he could end up contributing.
3: Yeah, and you're getting Benjamin back, um, and like you said about with the uh, with the quarterback situation, um, you, you certainly need to to replace that, and you know you can make the choice between where they go and Mariota, and Winston if you want to go that route. Um, and you know as far as giving up McCoy, it does seem like a lot, but you know he is going to a to a new team, a new system. It's not like he's going to certainly make those adjustments i know he's going to get you know a thousand carries this year as everybody's reporting but uh he is still a running back with some miles on him so there is definitely an inherited risk there i think with with that situation um um and yeah, obviously you could throw stedman Bailey, and andrew hawkins out of there you're getting benjamin and sankey who i think still has a contributing feature whether it's a third down pass catching back or not and you're getting two two nice picks there so i don't I don't mind giving up McCoy there because I think you're getting pretty good value there, and uh you know Benjamin's certainly got they added some weapons around him there in Carolina, so it's not, not a bad deal at all um graham slash defensive tackle trade um thoughts here on this trade i'm I'm proposing to a guy that wants Jimmy I give Jimmy Graham. And uh, Michael Floyd, not defensive tackle, excuse me. I give Jimmy Graham and Michael Floyd, and I get Demarius Thomas and Greg Olson. Um, I know some people still have hope for Floyd. I don't. But I've burned – I've been burned by him. I also have Dez, Jordan Matthews, Brandon Cooks um, ahead of him on my depth chart. So I'm okay with cutting ties. I I don't love the drop consistency at tight end, but I have – another one on my roster, and Olsen is a top-five guy in my opinion. So uh, what are your thoughts there?
1: Well, you mentioned there at the end, Greg Olsen's a top-five tight end. So basically you're switching to, swapping two top-five tight ends and getting a huge upgrade at wide receiver on Demarius Thomas over Michael Floyd. Uh, I don't... Think the the guy w- that wants Jimmy Graham would actually make this trade, but if you are able to get pull off this trade, definitely, definitely do it. I I just I'm not high on Jimmy Graham there in Seattle. He's de- lost a lot of value in my mind. Mm-hmm. Well, and you you do run into the risk of what what
3: happens to Demarius when Peyton's gone. And did, I believe they just did they sign him or did they just franchise tag Demarius Thomas?
1: I believe that was a franchise tank. I'm not hundred percent but I'm pretty sure that was franchise.
3: Yeah, so if that's the case, you know you know, Demarius Thomas isn't gonna be necessarily beholden to Denver, you know. I think if Peyton says, Okay, I'm gonna retire at the end of this year, I think they're gonna be ready to, to maybe break up the ship a little bit and Demarius could be getting some, some big money at a potential on a potential playoff team somewhere else. And I think he is a a very special receiver who's been able to extend Peyton Manning's career. I think he is certainly, you know, one of the, one of the top two or three receivers that I've ever played with. Man, you look at Harrison and, and Reggie Wayne, obviously, and they're in there as well. I think he is that type of player. And obviously he has proven it time and time again. So yeah, I think it's a good deal. And, um, I'm not ready to write off Jimmy in Seattle but you gotta be you gotta be a little bit nervous about that scheme and how many touches they're gonna get him and what's moving forward. And if you're giving up Michael Floyd and getting Demarius Thomas,
1: I don't care who the other player is. I, I like it. Um
3: Um moving on. A J or Julio. I have a ton of people that are really high on Julio and some are down on AJ because of his injury riddled season. Um excuse me, seasons there, but I think AJ could be a number one fantasy wide receiver this year i've been offered aj for julio straight up so you so i want to know what you think should i ask for more and how do people feel about both of those guys julio's foot kind of scares me too what are your thoughts there nick
1: I think you're pretty much splitting hairs when comparing AJ Green, Green and Julio Jones. They're both uh, top five receivers. I think AJ Green's one year older than Julio, so that might be a slight knock on him. But he, uh, if you think that AJ Green's going to be the number one fantasy receiver this year, then pull off the trade by all means. I don't. I, I, it's they're so close that I don't. I don't think there's much difference between the two. Yeah,
3: they they are close, and they both have you know a concerning injury in their past. Um yeah, I think if you're gonna trade I don't really like the fact that you're gonna swap one for the other. And obviously if you like one or the other, that's that's okay and you can certainly do that. But I would if I'm gonna be trading a guy like AJ or Julio, I'm gonna be trading him for two younger players, not somebody who's basically the same type of player with the same injury concern. I I, I don't think you're really gaining much by doing by doing that type of flip there, so um let's get to our top five tied ends um Nick, I guess I'll go first this time since you went first with the quarterbacks, um, sorry, too many screens in front of me my top 5 starting from number 5 uh this is going to be a little bit of a long shot but we're talking about a guy here who only had 61 catches in 4 years at South Carolina and Rory Anderson coming out of nowhere but this as like a, like I said earlier this is my dart, uh just and, and I think he put, could potentially have a, a good a good role in this offense obviously Vernon Davis is the man there, but he is getting long in the tooth, and I think his his years there are certainly certainly numbered. I'd be surprised if... Now I guess I wouldn't be surprised if he's there next year, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's there beyond that at all. I think Seattle, or excuse me, San Francisco, I can't believe I screwed those two up, but yeah, considering their history with each other, but I think San Francisco is certainly ready to be done with Vernon Davis, and Rory Anderson could slip in there. This guy is basically the same size as Devin Plotches but he's played tight end throughout his whole career, so he understands the position a little bit more. He also has some nice skills to uh, that translate into a decent receiver, too. This guy can go downfield, he can go in motion. Um, not a whole lot of foam on him, but he certainly is an intriguing player to me. 4'6", four, 4'7", four, speed, out of a tight end, who knows how to actually play the position. I really like it, and I think he can certainly contribute uh number four i got jesse james out of penn state of course went to the pittsburgh steelers um big big kid six seven you know when you see a six seven tight end it's kind of like the the the, the waters are parting and there's a light and you're like okay we can work with this you know and you've got big ben roethlisberger and only you know the 97 year old heath miller in front of him essentially i know they got some other blocking tight ends but i think James is going to maybe start out as a blocking tight end, but I think he could be a decent red zone guy. And I think having the quarterback like Ben Roethlisberger who can basically get the ball to any receiver, any size, anywhere, is certainly going to help Jesse James' value. I think he's going to produce numbers in the NFL that's going to dwarf anything that he ever did in college because he dominated absolutely nothing in college. But the size is there to work with, and I really, really like Jesse James and Pittsburgh. Uh, number three, and I know I'm really high on this guy, Michael Pruitt, going to the Minnesota Vikings. Only Kyle Rudolph ahead of this guy. Only only six two, which is kind of small for a tight end, but he's 250 solid pounds of muscle and play the slot. Uh, can be a motion man. Knows how to block. Um, it's super super athletic. Small school guy, uh, Southern Illinois. The Salukis, um, I, I really like him. And I think Minnesota's – they added weapons for Teddy Bridgewater, and this is a guy that really intrigued me. I think they could even might, might have him play kind of the fullback, H-back type of thing, like they did with Klein Saucer for so many years there in Minnesota. And I know it's a different coaching regime there, but I think he has those cap- capabilities and he He's a far better athlete than Klein Saucer ever was. Um really intrigued by this guy. This is a guy that you wanna be looking at rounds five and beyond in your rookie drafts 'cause he's where he might not carve out a role this year. I think you could see him grow with this team and grow with a guy like Bridgewater who's gonna love his versatility. Number four number two season I have Clive Walford. Uh not excite, super excited that the Raiders are really downgrading Mike, uh Michael Rivera's uh, fantasy numbers, but uh I certainly agree with you with them surrounding uh, Derek Carr with, with extra weapons and uh Walford is a guy that can certainly uh play on the line and block as well. They have some great options and you know anybody that anytime you have two offensive offensive players that can do do things like block and help your help your quarterback out it's certainly going to going to help this help this team out I don't know what that what kind of role this is going to leave for Marcel Reese, another guy who I love there in Oakland. But I think, uh, Walford can certainly contribute and help Derek Carr. Well, it doesn't help his fantasy stats or, or Rivera's. I think he can ultimately take the job from Rivera. So it's not going to help their fantasies, either one of their fantasy stats in the short term. I think he certainly has some decent long-term value there in Oakland. Um, and number one, by far number one, I think is Max Williams. Uh, can do with this guy is going to be very exciting to me. I think he's going to catch some. He's going to make some. You know, I know I said this last year with Nick about Ebron, but I think he's going to make going to really push for some interesting rookie numbers as a tight end. By interesting, I mean very good tight end numbers as a rookie. And They have some nice other weapons in this offense, and they're, that's going to be able to let him do so. And I think teams are going to be game planning later on in the season about how they need to. Control this guy. I don't think he's going to you know, break any NFL records, but I think he's certainly going to contribute a lot more than some people think and other rookie tight ends have in the past. Uh, Max Williams tight end out uh, of
1: Minnesota there
3: now in uh, Baltimore. So uh, what, do, what do you got for me on tight end?
1: Well, uh, first I want to start by saying, you know, don't reach for any of these guys. Uh, Dan talked about it on the show a couple weeks ago, how tight ends tend to take a couple years until they are able to contribute at the next level. There's just so much to learn as far as, you know, blocking, receiving. They've got to know everything on the field. Uh, But anyway, getting to the list, at number five I have Michael Pruitt. I'm not quite as high on him as you are. You know, he's... Very physically talented. He was the fastest tight end at the combine in his 40-yard dash, running right around a four or five. You know, definitely helped his stock uh, coming from a small school. Super talented, but he's stuck behind Kyle Rudolph, and that's the only reason I'm not as high on him as you are. I, I like Kyle Rudolph there in Minnesota. I think it's going to be tough for Pruitt to put up you know, quality fantasy numbers for as long as uh, Rudolph sits there and healthy. Uh, number four, I agree with you. I got Jesse James there in Pittsburgh, six foot seven, like you mentioned, uh, Steelers kept him in state. He went to Penn state university tall enough to be a red zone target. And yeah, Heath Miller is getting a little long in the tooth. I can definitely see him being their starter there in a, in a couple of years, uh, tight end. Number three, I've got a uh, Tyler Croft in Cincinnati, six foot five, two forty-six. The Bengals use two tight ends a lot. Um, if I had to pick one of the two, one of their two tight ends, I would go with Tyler Eifert definitely is better to own, but Croft slides into that Jermaine Gresham role, and you look at Gresham's numbers in five years in Cincinnati, never did he have a season under 450 yards or four touch four touchdowns, so that, I think that's a pretty decent floor for a rookie tight end. In uh, our top two, uh, we agree. Uh, number two, I got Clive Wolford also. There's a lot to like about him. He's a former basketball player, so it was uh, that tends to translate to the tight end position pretty well, historically speaking, anyway. He was a four-year starter for Miami who's got a long history of... a uh, recent history of good tight ends in the NFL, and he gets to play with a talented young quarterback. He's not the best blocker, but that doesn't matter in fantasy, uh, and he definitely kills Michael Rivera's stock there in Oakland. And, of course, the tight end, number one, he's pretty much everybody's consensus, number one tight end rookie this year, Max Williams in Baltimore. got good hands. He's got a number of highlight reel catches on his resume, and he should start sooner rather a little later. Even if Dennis Pitt is healthy to start the year, which I heard he's not going to be now, you know, you just can't ever count on Pitt to stay healthy. He's only played seven games over the last two years. He's the number one tight end, but don't overpay. You know, Like I said, tight ends usually take a year or two before they start to produce, so there's no need to spend a late first-round pick on a tight end. If he goes before your second-round pick and you need a tight end, just target Wolford in a round three.
3: Yeah, yeah, most definitely there. And, and I wanted to add, too, about uh, Michael Pruitt. Not not only was he the fastest tight end at the Combine, but he was in the top five at all drills of tight ends. He was in the top five in all of those. Uh, ran a faster 40 times than Justin Hardy. Uh, out, out jumped in the vert, Cooper, and Kevin White. Uh, and... Um,
1: and Devontae Parker, I think,
3: so it just i the major bulls and the athletic ability there just, just intrigue me so much. I uh, love this guy, I will probably reach on him just because I can't help myself, but anyway, <laughs> uh, it's the fourth round, it's a rookie draft like, come on i already got I already got three tight ends of both my teams, but why not um it's a it's a dart, it's a dart um, <laughs> um moving forward um new segment that we're kind of playing around here with. What would you trade for? Um, I need a funny musical intro for that. What would you trade, Nick, for? What do you trade to get picks? 1.01, 1.02, and 1.03 this year. And who would you not take out of the top four? What do you got for me?
1: Well, if you look at my... Uh the dynasty team that I have in our league, uh, I would definitely trade A.J. Green uh, for those three picks. If that's not enough, I'd throw in Kenny Stills. And if that's not enough, I'd remove Stills. And I'd I'd trade A.J. Green and Alfred Morris, I think, would be my my, uh, top – top offer for those three picks. I don't know if I would be accepted or not, but I would do it. And, um, that team, I'm pretty desperate at running back. So before that team's purposes, I would go with, uh, the two running backs, Gurley and Gordon. And then since I'm giving up green, I would take the safer of the two receivers, uh, Cooper over white, even though I have, uh, in general purposes, I have uh, White over Cooper, but I just think Cooper's safer. Since I'm giving up A.J. Green, I would need the a, a safer of the two plays. But that team's just so desperate at running back that I would have to go with the two running backs. Uh, in all things being, even, I would probably uh, pass on Gurley, actually. I just That ACL tear scares me. I, I would stay away from him if I wasn't desperate at running back. But with my team's personal situation, I would take him.
3: Well, and we should... Point out that we are certainly in the minority at DFW on Todd Gurley. Everybody else loves it. A lot of people love it. So I, I think if you have a chance, you know, to grab Gur- Gurley or Gordon, and you're not worried about the knee, just flip a quarter. I mean, it's it, it's. I don't think it's going to really matter. I know some people were crazy and think Gurley is going to be the the man. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, we won't get into that. Um, I would love to just trade Andrew Luck and get all three of these picks, but I don't think anybody's holding all three of these picks. You're, you're probably looking at making a couple trades. Um, and, jeez, I don't know if I have the goods, you know, I don't know if I have the goods in either of my team to actually offer that up. Uh, but let's, let's combine a couple of my dynasty teams. What if I was to give up, uh, you know, maybe Andrew Luck and get two of those picks and uh, Jeremy Hill and get another one? Or, you know... I, I just really – it's hard for me to do this because I don't think I have the goods to actually do that. But, you know, I'd give up Andrew – let's say Andrew Luck and Demarius Thomas. Let's say you had that on one team, you get these three picks. I think that's – that would be certainly fair because, you know, let's face it, even though we love all these top four rookies, they're not necessarily, you know, shoe-ins. Who would I take out? I would take out Kevin White. Um, Running backs are certainly – they're devalued, but I think when you have two top guys like this, that's certainly uh, that's certainly it makes them a premium. If you need, and if you need running backs, obviously you're going to get those two guys. The overwhelming consensus with Cooper versus White is Cooper is more polished. White has the higher ceiling. Can you agree there, Nick? Is that what everybody's saying? Right?
1: Uh, I definitely so agree. Yeah.
3: Yeah. That being said, look at that. Really look at that statement in the future. Who is Cooper's quarterback? Derek Carr. I know I'm a Raiders fan, so I'm not that person to ask. There's certainly a future there. You can't tell me the absolute minute Chicago is going to get, be able to get rid of Jay Cutler, they're not going to do it. So then, who is, who is the Chicago Bears quarterback? You know, in two years, who's Chicago's Bears quarterback? When, when White is ready to make that third-year jump and be an elite wide receiver, who's their quarterback going to be? Chicago is not—it's not going to be Jay Cutler forever, and I think not. And I think Carr and Cooper could certainly have grow together and have at least five, maybe six years in Oakland, depending, depending though all the wheels don't come off or one of them gets hurt. So I, you know, I know, and I know I'm a Raiders fan, and, and talking about that, so you can take that for what it is.
1: But really, look at that
3: situation. I mean, who is Chicago's quarterback in three years? when White's gonna be able to take that next step. When you can especially consider Cooper and Carr are gonna to be together. So that I would keep White out of that situation because I just think even I would even take Gurley over White, and I know I'm averse to that and I know a lot of people would do that anyway, but I just think that's I would take Cooper, Gordon, Cooper, excuse me, Cooper, Gordon obviously Cooper twice, Um, Cooper, Gordon, and Gurley before I would take Kevin White. And that being said, I'm going to be stuck with Kevin White in a a dynasty draft, I think, and I'm certainly okay with that. And I think even at 1.05 in DFW 36, I think there is a chance Kevin White will be available. So I'm certainly not opposed to that, And and I think he certainly has intriguing talent and I mean, next time you hear somebody say, you know, ask, talk about Kevin White, ask who his quarterback was at West Virginia. I certainly don't know because I was watching Kevin White on the film. Uh, you know, I, the only other player I know on that team is his, his fellow wide receiver, uh, Mario Alford, who is an absolute burner, four two seven burner. But, um, yeah, it's. I wish I had the goods to try to get to trade up into a draft like this, but uh, you're going to be, you know, maybe you could also even offer – if you really believe in these top four guys, I don't think there's going to be top four guys like this next year. So if you can if you can mortgage your future picks, maybe that's that's not a bad idea. But uh, interesting question. Not anybody's going to go out there and do this, but it's certainly an interesting question to bring up. Uh, let's do the short dilemma music flip as we get to another dynasty dilemma dilemma as we pit Danny Shelton versus Leonard Wood. All right, it was my turn to go first this week, this dilemma, excuse me. Um, next week, our dilemma is David Cobb versus Jay, Jai, so Nick gets to choose on that one, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Um, but we're going a little defensive line here, kind of getting you all ready for our IDP show next week, too, so... Um, I chose first, and I chose Shelton over Williams. might be a little surprise to some people, but this is why. Shelton has a chance to be a real IDP contributor in the interior line, which is something that just does not happen very often. Williams is on a defense with a ton of talent, and he's going to need to fight even just to record tackles. I can see Shelton peaking at 60 tackles and 8 to 10 sacks per season. Um, and. Why can't can't he average a pick six for season two? Why not? (laughs) He has weird athletic ability for somebody that's 6'2", 340. And I think he's probably a little bit heavier than 340 because it's that party ball in his jersey. But, uh, I mean, I think 60 tackles and 8 to 10 sacks, I know that's lofty goals for a defensive tackle, but this is a guy that's going to be on the field all the time because Cleveland needs him to be on the field all the time. Williams is certainly capable of being a beast, but his tackle numbers are going to be an issue. I mean, just look at that defense. Look at how many ball hawks, and linebackers they have in the defense that can do things. It's a great situation for Williams to grow in, but as far as IDP stats, I, I, I just don't see it.
1: I mean, we're in
3: a situation here where being the best all-around player in the actual NFL draft is not necessarily going to translate to being a fantasy star. Shelton is a penetrating Beast, you know. You look at some of the other defensive tackles in this in the this, uh, in the excuse me in this draft like Goldman. These guys are pluggers. They're not penetrators, and that's what Shelton is. He's going to cause and wreak havoc. If you want to watch a Shelton video, watch the Oregon Ducks video. He, it's not a great game by him, but he makes his presence known and he flushes Mario out of the pocket almost every time, and it, it, with with you know, with uh, maybe as far as I'm concerned, inferior offensive linemen in terms of guys he's going to be going against, not Horanos you, I think you're going to see him definitely create some damage because let's face it, the best center in the in the in the NFL is on his team and Alex Mack, and that's who he's going to be going against in practice. Um, it's just going to make him really formidable and run run defenses too. It's just I'm really excited about Sheldon, and I think a lot of ways. Uh, Leonard Williams to the Jets, it's like Dorsett to the Colts. Granted, Williams is going to be a starter day one, but I don't see, I see Williams being more of a rotational player while Shelton, like I said earlier, has to be on the field at all times because Cleveland needs him to be. Uh, lastly, Leonard Williams being listed as a defensive tackle, excuse me, as a defensive and not the defensive tackle is certainly going to hinder his value as he will likely have great defensive tackle numbers, but average defensive end numbers. Nick, what do you got there for Leonard Williams?
1: Well, I do want to say that in defensive tackle required leagues, definitely Shelton gets a bump. But in all, even in those leagues, I think I would still go Leonard Williams. You know, he's the top defender available in this year's NFL draft. I think he's also the no brainer number one defensive lineman in rookie drafts, even if he will be part of a rotation with fellow first round picks, Muhammad Wilkerson and Shelton Richardson. Very few players can run a Sub five second 40 yard dash and weigh over 300 pounds like Leonard Williams. But he's far from just a workout warrior. Williams was productive from day one at USC. He had 64 tackles and eight sacks as a freshman at defensive tackle, and then was even more productive on the stat sheet after moving to defensive end. And you look at Sean Kirby's rookie draft board on uh, DFW, Williams is the only defensive lineman he has worthy of going the first two rounds, whereas Danny Shelton's all the way down there in round six at uh, rookie defensive lineman number nine. At 339 pounds, um, Shelton ran a four six four forty yard dash. That that would be a decent number at the D F W combine, but to me that raises questions about his ability to pressure the quarterback at the NFL level. He's a good player, but I just have concerns that he's gonna be used as more of a space eater, freeing up other guys to make plays on that Cleveland defense. I think Shelton's impact just may not show up on the stat sheet. He could be somewhat irrelevant for fantasy purposes.
4: Uh,
3: some very good points there, and I realize I'm setting the lofty bar there for Shelton. But uh, <laughs> you know this team, this Cleveland team, is just need, needs him to contribute. And I know they took another DT as well, but I, I, just, I, I feel Shelton certainly has a, a, a better future. So if you disagree with me, tweet me. I'd love to hear from you, and uh, we'll go from there. Uh, best number fifteen in NFL history. Uh, as we talked about earlier, Nick, this is kind of a week, week one this week. But uh, this is a, a thing that we keep going back to every now and then. And as we go through all the numbers in NFL history, one, zero, zero and uh, double zero, excuse me, through ninety nine, as we try to figure out who the best in NFL history was that to ever wear that number. What do you got for us?
1: Well, the number 15, it's not the greatest list. I'm not going to waste a lot of time on like two time Pro Bowler Neil Lomax or, you know, to paraphrase Richard Sherman, a sorry receiver like Michael Crabtree. So I'll just keep it down to four names. Uh, First off, Jeff Hossettler didn't have an amazing career, only went to one Pro Bowl, but he did lead the 1990 New York Giants to a Super Bowl win after stupid Phil Sims got hurt uh, late in the regular season. Uh, Next up, you got the five time Pro Bowler Brandon Marshall, had seven straight. 1,000-yard seasons from 07 to 2013, and he should pass 10,000 career receiving yards this year. And more importantly, uh, after being diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, he's been a, a very outspoken advocate for others suffering from mental, mental illnesses. Uh, moving on, we got uh, Jack Kemp, who's one of the top quarterbacks in AFL, uh, not the Arena League, of course, the uh, American Football League, two-time AFL champion played in half of the AFL's 10 championship games, and his 40 rushing touchdowns trail only Steve Young and Otto Graham. He was the only quarterback to start all 10 10 years of the American Football League and was the AFL MVP in 1965. Uh, Later on in life, he was very active in politics. And whether or not you agree with the trickle-down Reaganomics uh, Kemp helped put in place, it's hard not to laugh at his uh, statements in 1986 that, and I quote, Football is democratic capitalism, whereas soccer is a European socialist sport. awesome. America. But uh, no question the best number 15 of all time is Green Bay's quarterback, Bart Starr, winner of five championships between 1961 and 1967, including the first two ever Super Bowls. Only made it to four Pro Bowls, but my favorite stat from Bart Starr came from 1966. He started 13 games, threw 251 passes, and only three interceptions. That's incredible. You know, before guys like Terry Bradshaw, Joe Montana, and Tom Brady were winning title after title, Bart Starr was helping Green Bay become Come known as Title Town, the best number fifteen of all time.
3: Uh, yeah, I, re- I really can't disagree with you there on any of those guys. I I, I almost forget about some of those receivers like Marshall, but uh, there's also Michael Floyd and Crabtree. But I not really need to bring those guys up. Bart Starr is is number one. I mean, he set he set the bar so so high for any guy that wants to be called a, a franchise quarterback, and where he maybe didn't produce. Amazing fantasy numbers in terms of what we what we see today. Um, best best number 15 of all time easily is Buckstar. Um, trivia question. Actually, I have another one for you in a second too. But do you know the only player to wear the number 15 for your Washington Redskins and my Oakland Raiders? Was it Hoss that one? Yes. I thought that was going to be too easy for you, and it certainly was. Um, So, uh, yeah, just an interesting tidbit there. Only interesting to probably me and Nick, but I just came across it in my research, so I thought that was interesting. Um, uh, Odell Beckham Jr., Nick, my last point here as we get done, is on the cover of the new Madden. Is this? really a curse what what, are your thoughts
1: uh you know what i'm just not a superstitious person i don't believe in curses all the brutal sport a lot of guys get hurt every year i don't think being on the cover of madden has anything to do with it
4: <laughs>
1: okay
3: uh obviously it's it's maybe bigger news than it needs to be and you know people want to spot that out or whatnot but uh uh good for him and uh it's uh it's certainly been been a curse for some people, not necessarily injury-wise. But uh, one other trivia question, and again, it's probably going to be way too easy for Nick because cause I, know, I know you more than just talking with you once, once a week for two hours. Um, do you know the only, can you name the two franchises that have been represented on the cover of Madden twice?
1: Ooh, that is a tough one.
3: Come on, you are a Madden dork, and don't pretend you're not. Are you
1: sure you don't have the posters on your wall? <laughs> all that, all that <laughs> I don't, and you know what, I should know this, because I just recently sold all my old PlayStation 2 Maddens, so i would looked at them recently, but... Uh, I, it's No? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm clueless. Sorry, I'm drawing a blank here. Well, it's a little bit of a trick question,
3: because for some reason... Uh, Barry Sanders was on the cover of Madden 14, which is Madden 25 or whatever, a classic mm. cover there. And Calvin Johnson was, of course, on Madden 13. Um, and, and then the other weird one, he's got to roll the clock back, and I think this was maybe the first year they actually put a player on the cover. And it was 2001 with Eddie George and the Tennessee Titans. And then somewhere maybe 2007, actually it was 2008, when they had Tennessee also had Vince Young on the cover. So uh interest, interesting tidbit for if you need to win a trivia game somewhere in the future, <laughs> um, but obviously that, that uh, answer could change as uh, they continue to make Madden games every single year and keep us football dorks happy. Uh, that is all we have for you today. This has been the dynasty pulse. I want to thank our amazing polling guard, Sal Conti for getting us the, the lowdown on some great offensive linemen that we can see helping our guys protecting the realm, if you will. Um, and uh, hopefully we gave you some good knowledge on the quarterbacks and tight ends again, kind of weak classes in both. Um, but uh, remember Michael Pruitt, remember that I said it and nobody else. <laughs> but, uh, um, next week. Uh, I'm not even sure how we're going to do this. Cause I've never done anything quite like this before, but we're doing an IDP show. Uh, Sean Kirby is going to be joining us for, uh, for a handful of minutes to enlighten us. And, uh, So any any IDP questions IDP questions you've ever had, let's keep it in the rookie realm, Nick. Uh, Let's let's hit Sean hard next week because I know he is up for it, and we're gonna be going through all the IDP positions and telling you who we think is number one, who we who we can who we can uh, lean on as maybe kind of fallback plans. Um, Very excited to that to do that show because our our IDP staff is. I, I wish I could say award-winning because they're certainly deserving. Um, but we have such a, an amazing IDP staff, and we we talk about them just a little bit every week on the podcast. And next week it's going to shine, and I hope I'm not building it up too much. Uh, but, Nick, we need to be ready next week to talk about IDP. So any
1: closing thoughts? Um, no, I think we'll be ready next week. Uh, more likely than not, I guess, to paraphrase the deflate gate report.
3: Yes, more probable than not. So. <laughs> uh, this has been the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I am Joshua Johnson. He is Nick Wagner. Again, big thanks to Sean Kirby, for, or excuse me, for to Sal Conti for helping us out. And, of course, we'll thank Sean Kirby next week as we hit our IDPs hard. Maybe we'll get Bruce Kimbrough on as well. Uh, so thank you for listening to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast, and we will talk to you next Wednesday. <laughs>
1: I'm not
0: 18- Plus.